Good evening, thank you very much. It's the uh, second time I've been invited to talk. Um, so I'm very privileged, obviously, he said the right things the first time. Um, I'm going to probably spend the next 45 minutes or so um, trying to create a link, my understanding at least, of systems thinking and this thing called design thinking, um, which is very much around what World Design Capital um, is embedded in. Um, and then I'm going to end off talking more around World Design Capital as a program so you can kind of get a feel of how design manifests itself um, in the program um, and the types of projects that one can find. I've got some literature and things that you're welcome to help yourself to which might give you a bit of a better idea of, of the program of World Design Capital. Um, but I'll hopefully give it some better context as I go through. Um, Systems thinking. So I'm going to start off with sort of trying to position systems thinking and design thinking and, and sort of make a connection. And I'm probably talking to the converted here when, when one talks systems thinking. Um, and sort of my take from it, from my engineering experience and from my design experience, is that you, these terms reductionism and expansionism are very much systems thinking is about sort of the expansive thinking. It's not about reduction and, and, and analysis, we'll talk about that just now. But understanding that systems are parts of bigger systems. Um, and I think in the world of design, the experience that I've had is when you design a product, it's very important to understand the system that that product needs to exist in, otherwise generally they, they, they fail. Um, the other, um, sorry, slides are a bit small, but the other, um, key concepts I want to bring across, obviously, the difference between analysis and synthesis. Um, and gaining knowledge of a system by understanding its parts is analysis, but obviously the synthesis gain knowledge of a system by understanding the relationships, and that's very important um, when it comes to design. Um, and I think what really, for me, sends, sends the message home is that analysis is, it tells you how a system works, but synthesis tells you why a system works. That's very important subtlety when it comes to designing something. Um, you'll find that designers ask the question why a lot. If you come with a proper statement, they'll say why this, why that. They'll try and unpack it continuously um, so they start to get a bigger picture of potentially really what is the problem statement that they're trying to, trying to change. Um, and also, key, key attributes for me under systems thinking, it's obviously, it, it has tools. Um, specifically in design, we do, do a lot of soft system methodology. Um, there's interactive planning, soft system methodology tools, uh, critical system heuristics, and these are things about bounding systems and understanding when you're designing something, where do we actually um, bound our, our sort of sphere of influence. Um, all those are taken in you know, from a design perspective. And funnily enough, in, in all my experience as a designer, I never knew about <coughs> systems thinking or soft system methodology. Um, it's something that a lot of designers, you'll see the comparison a bit later, but it's something a lot of designers just had and it was hardwired in. You don't necessarily taught it. Um, systems thinking, I think, has got a lot more academic rigor than I think in the world of engineering. Specific software engineering, you'll find it. But in the world of design, uh, industrial design, graphic design, doesn't really play much of a role, which is, which is quite, quite interesting. Um, it's obviously holistic. Um, hard systems and soft systems, I think from a design perspective, we focus a lot more on the soft systems as the people, um, are always the tricky part of, of designing a product. 
um, because people are often unpredictable and it's hard to design for them from one day to another. Um, Ask the question why a lot from a systems perspective. Looks at relationships, that's an interesting one. I think, you know, when it comes to design, um, it's not just the relationship with the system, but the relationship with the person. So it brings in the people's the people element. How does a person from designing a handheld telephone or something? Um, how, from a human interface perspective, um, does it relate to the hardware and to the to the actual human being? Um, different world views. That's very uh, important aspect of systems engineering. It's a sort of problem. Systems thinking, which is used a lot in, in, in design is it's all very well by designing a product, but who am I designing this product for? If I'm a mechanical engineer and I'm designing a product for a nurse, I need to understand his or her perspective and his or her world and how she might or might not use that product. Um, so understanding world views is a very important tool for designers which also correlates into systems thinking. And for me over the last couple of years as I've be involved more in the work that I'm doing now, it's around dealing with complex systems and, and complexity and, and systems thinking actually brings us to working in complex problems and I hope you'll unpack it a little bit when I talk about the world design capital. But certainly when you work at a, where I'm at the moment in the city of Cape Town, the level of complexity because you're working with systems for people um, is immense. You've got obviously a technical layer when you're rolling out services, but then you have got the cultural layer and the people layer, um, and it's all that mixed together. Very, very complex indeed in trying to deal with that. Um, and for me, systems thinking very much embraces ambiguity. I think if you look at these complex um, challenges that a city has, they are full of conflicting information, full of ambiguity, um, and systems thinking through various tools, uh, soft system methodology tools, can actually provide some very nice ways of, of dealing with that. So really that's my, my world view of, of, um, of systems thinking. Now design thinking is, a, um, is, a, is an interesting um, term. It's not really design thinking, it's actually design doing. I think if you, if you talk about design thinking with designers, I get very frustrated if they say, you know, it's not just thinking, I'm not just sitting in a chair thinking of things, I'm actually physically doing things, I'm experimenting on prototyping. And I think what's important with design thinking, it's not about the beautiful objects. Um, those are the outputs of design thinking. But the essence of design thinking is actually a process, it's a thinking process. Um, but the thinking process is, has a lot of doing in, 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 inside it. And really, if you look at the, at the process, it involves a, it's a journey. You start off in that sort of conceptual ideation phase. So most of you probably do this on a daily basis in your project. You know, you determine a brief and let's go out and find more information. It's very much divergent thinking, sort of the brainstorming phase. You get the information and then we start to analyze it. So we converge in again. And now we've, we've generally, if you're developing something new, it will be about, well, We've got a whole lot of assumptions that we've made, let's prototype something, let's test something. And what design thinking allows you to do, or basically the way designers think, is they've got a whole lot of assumptions, so let's prototype. Let's test those assumptions through prototyping and through testing. And you then learn a whole lot of other things, and you create, and you prototype, and you test, and then you cycle it back. 
So design thinking is really a, it's a process of divergent thinking, coming up with lots of ideas, and then convergent thinking down to a solution. And you're continuously testing and prototyping as you go, as you go through your, your process. Another aspect, and I'll get into that more, the attributes of design thinking, I think it's the next slide, is it embodies certain attributes. So as you go through that divergent phase and that convergent phase, that sort of design process, which most engineers do, most designers do, but they might not be aware of it exactly. There's lots of different ways of mapping that out as a process. Is one of the, the unique things about design thinking is it's got some key attributes, which is important to, to, to bring in. It basically embodies creative thinking practices, so it enables idea generation and the advancement of ideas through prototyping and testing. It's a collaborative process, so you'll find that somebody who practices true design thinking actually collaborates along as well with people. It's not just a designer sitting in the corner doing their own thing. They'll go out there, they'll speak to other people, they'll speak to the end user, they'll speak to colleagues. Um, and that really embraces co-creation and involving multiple perspectives. So you can start to see a bit of systems thinking coming in there. And we're going to get a whole lot of worldviews. I've got a worldview on this problem statement, and I think I know what the solution is. But let me go and get some other worldviews and, and bring it into the, into the tent. The idea of co-creation is very interesting, where the role of a designer in design thinking is becoming more of a collaborative, collaborative synthesizer. Um, where I'm not going to be the only one responsible for the design, I'm actually going to go out there and create an environment where the end user can be part of the design process. I'm going to get his perspective and, and give him some tools and see what he comes up with um, in a way which, you know, he's the end user, he probably knows his product better than I do as a designer. Um, so the methodologies and tools to actually embrace co-creation is an interesting um, attribute for, for design thinking. And it brings through some very, um, I'll, I'll show you some projects of World Design Capital, but it brings through some very interesting um, facilitation models of a role that a designer now plays, where they're now facilitating ideas and trying to get direction as opposed to making an actual design decision. Um, and I think probably key to, to design thinking is its user-centered nature, that at the center of your thinking the whole time as a designer is the end user. So everything you do is, is this how, how the end user reacts to this, or how, what value does this add to the end user? Um, a very important aspect. I think you know, if you look at the successes of, of Apple um, and even Google, um, GE to a degree, they all got a very strong, gamble, they all got very strong user-centered approaches to what they do, so that the products and services they develop um, basically are have a validity for the, for the end user at the end of the day. Because it's very easy to go down a bit of a tangent, thinking, yeah, oh, I think this is the right solution, and you know, you develop a product and it goes out there into the into domain, and the end user uses it, and it just doesn't doesn't work for them. Um, very important to bring them in. And that's where the co-creation element comes in. Bring them into the development process. Let them be part of the design um, because they all bring a perspective which you may not have. Um, so typically it's research and observation, it's identification of stakeholders. Um, once again, another soft, soft system methodology, systems thinking tool to be used in there. 
Um, and the use of local knowledge, actual having appreciation and having empathy of the, uh, the user or the end environment is very important. So think of design thinking as not only a process, but also it's got some very key attributes embedded inside it um, that should be practiced as you go as you go through it. Um, I think then to put this into context of systems thinking is let's look at different layers of design and design maturity. Um, there's this thing called the Danish design ladder, which was developed by the Danes, um, and really it talks about four key steps in, in design, um, sort of the evolution of design. You have a layer of non-design where generally a country or a culture just not interested in design. They, you know, it's, they've got no appreciation maybe for the technical side or the aesthetic side. Then you've got designer styling, which is probably more traditional design. So your SMRs, your Audi TT, or piece of architecture, or your glass or vase, or whatever it might be. Um, it's another level of an understanding of design. And funny enough, if you look in South Africa generally, we probably, as a, as a, as a country, sit between sort of designer styling, I'll get to design this process now, but we, we, we're quite low down on this ladder compared to, to, first, to, to European countries and, and, uh, and America. Um, then you, design starts to move into this more, more strategic space. Design starts using design as a process. That's where the design thinking comes in. So if you look at design thinking as a process, uh, we can start actually using it in other areas. You don't just have to use design now to design a beautiful object. We can actually use design to design a business uh, model to design a system uh, to design a service um, and we start to move away from design just an artifact so the, the, the value that design thinking can bring starts to move you up that that ladder um, and I think right at the top is basically design as a tool for innovation so design-led innovation um, and it's not to say that it doesn't happen in South Africa because it definitely does but I think as a as a as a, as a country, we are lower down on the ladder than, than up, higher up on the ladder um, relative to, to first world countries around the world. So that, I think, gives you a perspective of when you talk about design, you've got these sort of different levels of maturity. Now, if I look at the types of designers you have and how they may use systems thinking, is let's think of different generations of designers because it actually takes different designers to be able to operate at these different levels. Um, it's something I've noticed over the years is that you can have a designer that's very good at designing and styling, but they actually can't operate in that sort of more abstract space. Um, and they can't actually use system thinking tools. Um, they just don't have the, the skill sets um, to do that. It's not that they can't, they just haven't been exposed to it or necessarily been taught. So what we find is you have the expert that's generally at the bottom, they're the ones that observe and study. So you have expert designer, yeah. very traditional, that's pretty much um, a designer that will be um, very proficient in a subject matter or from a, um, a CAD perspective, you know, they, they know their work very well. Then you start to have designers which work more as collaborators. Um, they start to understand relationships, they start to use tools which start to work more at a systems level. Um, they start to collaborate between people um, and different technologies and they start to synthesize slightly bigger systems. 
those sort of designers can operate a little bit higher up. And then you really start to get designers in the sort of facilitation role. And actually, at the end of the day, they're not designing at all anymore. They, they're facilitating a design process. Um, and it's really in that space, for me, is where design thinking and <coughs> systems thinking find, find a marriage. Because the tools around systems thinking, to be able to look at really complex challenges um, and to apply um, the right tools to come up with solutions or interventions to those complex challenges plays a role up in the um, higher up in the design ladder which requires a very specific type of designer. So if I was to look at um, systems thinking and design thinking and where the two sort of overlap, I would put it quite high up on the, on the, on the ladder. Um, which for me talks about also requiring a very specific type of designer, a very specific type of thinker with specific tools and skills. Um, and those, a lot of those skills are very much the types of systems thinking, systems thinking skills which I talked about earlier on. So that's really for me how, if I was to look at design thinking and systems thinking where I find the two sort of marry each other. Um, in a, in a world where there's a crossover between the tools and the level of complexity um, and the challenges that one may find. So that's all very well, but how does that, what are we trying to do in World Design Capital? Well, funny enough, what we're trying to do in World Design Capital is we're actually trying to showcase that design is a process, that design isn't just about the aesthetic, that it's actually about dealing with very complex challenges. And you'll find that behind those complex challenges are actually a lot of systems thinking tools and methodologies. Um, and the, if I think about uh, the ultimate objective of World Design Capital for Cape Town um, is using design as a tool for social transformation. So you can imagine if, if that's your challenge, um, how can you use design for economic and social advancement? You're, you're going to be operating, you need to be operating at that higher level. So the tools and types of people that you need to deal with those need to be operating at higher level. So they need to be FA with systems thinking type tools um, in order to be able to deal with those, those challenges. And World Design Capital is a, an award which is bestowed on a city um, every two years. Sorry, every, yeah, every two years. Um, we were shortlisted with Bilbao and Dublin, so we're three finalists. And it's, a, it's really a designation which is, gives a city to embrace design to deal with its urban challenges that it has. So very much dealing at a very high level of, of design um, from an application perspective. Um, just put it back on previous years, 2008 was uh, Turin, 2010 was Seoul, 2012 recently was Helsinki, and we're 2014 is Cape Town. And our process, uh, and 2016 has just been announced as Taipei. I think our bid uh, was really centered around, there was a bid process in 2011, but our bid process really centered around the city of Cape Town recognizing the importance and the relationship between creativity, design, and innovation, and the impact that that can have on a city's social and economic development. So very high-level, complex challenges that we now want to apply design to. Um, and I think if you look at the challenges, this is a graph which many of you may have seen from an urban perspective, but 
the red line is the rate of urbanization, um, global urbanization, and the green is the rate of ruralization. And you can see we, there's a challenge happening. You know, it's, the, the, the stats is there that cities are growing, and they're growing at an incredible rate. Um, and the city of Cape Town wanted to embrace wall design capital to say, well, you know, here we've got this massive challenge ahead of us. Um, you know, we can't increase rates and taxes at the same rate, so we need to be more innovative in the way we do things. So let's embrace design as a tool to start dealing with these complex urban challenges. But with embracing design comes a certain level and requirement from a skill and thinking perspective. Um, Cape Town, as most of you know, is, is very much a divided city. So I think that was one of the challenges, is, is how do we bridge this divide um, using design and design thinking um, as a tool. Um, so there was a bit in 2011. Uh, we were finalists between Cape Town, Bilbao, and Dublin. Um, and the, all, the overarching theme for the bid was live, design, transform life. So we were talking about using design as a tool for transformation. The previous world design capitals in Turin, Helsinki, um, and Seoul were very much about celebrating their rich design history. Um, you can mention Seoul from a technical perspective. They had a lot of um, design showcasing technology. Helsinki is a very strong um, industrial design um, history. Cape Town, we don't really have that. So we were looking, our bid was around the forward vision, the future. How can we use design to transform the future? So a lot of the projects in the program are have very much a forward-looking um, uh, perspective. Um, it's only a year designation, and there's only so much one can do in a year for a world design capital. But the, the value that we have is to start the conversation, create the awareness through the projects, start talking about design thinking, Start creating those linkages about the types of designers you need, the types of skills they need, uh, the types of uh, resources that one may need, and the real benefit of a world design capital designation, one will see beyond 2014. So one must look at it as a catalyst, as a springboard um, for, for future. Um, to unpack the bid, um, or to unpack the main theme, we were split into four key key sub-themes, um, African innovation, global conversation. So part of the process was trying to attract ideas. You have a year-long program, we need to get projects in, so let's give something for people to hook projects onto and, and, and go through a process of uh, attracting ideas and projects to build a year-long program. And from Live Design Transform Life, we came up with four sub-themes which is African Innovation Global Conversation. So that's really talking about innovations that have happened in Africa and have gone global. Bridging the Divide, which is about design that can reconnect. I think if you look at Apartheid, Apartheid was a design. It was designed to keep people apart. It was a very good design. Now, how do we undesign it? How do we design it to bring people back together? So it's looking at uh, Bridging the Divide is a very important part of, um, uh, of the theme. Today for Tomorrow, which really talks about this sustainability uh, conversation. And then probably the more traditional, beautiful spaces, beautiful things. It's the aesthetics, the jewelry, the architecture, uh, the style inside of design. So those are the four themes uh, which the program for the year was built around. Um, and the idea was to have some signatory events, some key events during the year, and then weave in a local program. So it's a year-long designation. And weave in the local program, which shows projects which have embraced design, show how design has manifested itself 
and how design thinking has manifested itself into those, those projects. Um, each project gets a, a, has, was given a, a, a geotag. Um, I'll show you a video now, but basically there's a program which um, is a calendar of events really, and you go to the website, it'll be far more detail, but basically it's a, we've got 450 projects in total. Um, throughout the whole year. So there's activities and programs and conversations and discussions that are happening throughout the year. Um, I'm just going to show you a quick video um, around that. So that, I think, gives you just a feel of the 450 projects, which are not necessarily they're only related to each other because of design. And throughout the message, 450 pixels essentially makes, makes a picture at the, at the end of the day. Um, the, briefly, what is in the program? There are collaborations which have started, obviously those are the networks which have been created. There's challenges and competitions which are being held. Uh, there's conferences and conventions uh, throughout the year. There's exhibitions and festivals, um, which is probably more where the public can, can interface. Uh, there's enterprise incubation, a big part of the project. A lot of the projects, because we're having this forward-looking uh, strategy, a lot of the projects are, are young startups. So there was an element of incubating uh, these projects. Um, and then workshops and dialogues. Uh, once again, connecting, connecting um, and just to get a bit of a feel, I mean, if you go to the websites, you can get a feel for, for the, the, what's happening. This is actually, this comes out every two months, but it gives you an idea of what's happening in August and September. It's just cycling through. Um, but a bit of an idea, there was a uh, township art experience, which is about youth coming out, creativity, drawing, trying to get people to um, express design um, in a graphic way. Open Streets, very much a community-based um, side of, of World Design Capital, which is really about closing streets and getting people onto the streets and getting to know people and, and connecting. Um, the provincial government put together a Better Living Challenge competition, which is just closed, actually, 
Um, it's about designing um, better accommodation or better furniture, but just better systems, better services um, for not necessarily just for for townships, but uh, just looking at a fresh way of approaching the, the challenge we, challenges we have with urbanization. Um, beautiful places, beautiful things. It's, there was 100% design, I think, was part of Decorex. Um, and that's really was furniture, a lot of industrial design. Um, in the public sector, what we're doing is a lot of co-creation. We're working with residents in identifying problem statements um, in the neighborhoods and then co-creating uh, with them. So that brings that, if you look at that user centricity side of design thinking, it's bringing the end user in as part of the design process um, and using designers to help facilitate um, those ideas. Um, multiple perspectives, multiple worldviews, all coming in to help create a, a final solution. Um, and you'll see in the top right, building models, physically expressing your ideas through making things. Um, and th these have been run uh, throughout the year um, in the city of Cape Town. Um, I won't show you the video, we won't have time for that. Um, and then, we have time, let's just check. No, I'll wait, it's only about five minutes. Um, so, World Design, just to summarize then, I think World Design Capital really is an opportunity for, it's bestowed to a city, so it's an opportunity for Cape Town. Stellenbosch are also a very key partner in it. Um, but it's an opportunity for a city to embrace design at many different levels. Um, from traditional aesthetic business. If you look at the Danish design ladder, it's about celebrating design across that entire ladder um, and basically creating an awareness of this is how design can manifest itself in a city. Um, and this concept of design thinking and then obviously discussions like this of how that links in with more traditional um, tools like systems thinking, soft system methodology, um, systems engineering, things like that. Just start creating awarenesses of how the linkages work. So that's, yeah, that's what I really have to say. I hope I haven't um, confused anybody. Um, I've tried to package it in a way which makes sense to me. But uh, yeah, if you've got any questions, I'm more than happy to answer. Yeah. Yeah, I one slide that you had there really struck the chord there when you spoke about collaboration and involving user, end user. If you look at the real good design things that have happened, that really is the case. Uh, the end user doesn't really know what he wants. When Steve Jobs came up with his iPhone, the end user, he never went to any end user. They didn't know anything about it. Nor did Frank Gehry or Frank Lloyd Wright or any of these people. Um, it's, very much, it's very much a vision and individual driven thing. And I think that's what's lacking here in Cape Town. I don't see, in what you've shown, I don't see the vision. I don't see a vision for, for anything, and I think this is why we're sitting in August and what's really happening. These projects are happening all the time. Decorex happens every year or every two years. So what's, what's the deal? So what we would like to know is what's the vision and what's the legacy? What do you expect to see out of all of this? Because yeah. I don't see too much of it. Yeah, I think a big challenge one has in Worldline Capital is you know, we start off with such a low base, it's about creating awareness of design and what design is. And I think even if you get a whole of professional designers around the table, they're all going to have their own perspective of design and, and what it means. So 
if your audience is general public, which is which is one of your audiences, it's about creating awareness of design and how it manifests itself in all these different things. So I think if, if one looks at what the vision for World Design Capital is, it's about creating the awareness of what design is and how it manifests itself. That's really the market. Essentially, it's a it's a marketing exercise for a year in promoting design. The legacy sits in and a part of that and a lot of things that, you, that one doesn't see are the linkages and connections that get made. So there's a lot of collaborations which are starting. So, for example, the work that I'm doing, I'm part of World Design Capital, the city of Cape Town have decided to, it's, it's really embedded in this, in this handout, the city decided to create an internal uh, department to embrace design and thinking into the public sector. So how can we bring design to improve service delivery? So from a legacy perspective, You've got now, because of World Design Capital, you've got City setting up a design or design driven innovation department, which will live way beyond 2014. Its focus will be about using design and design methodologies and systems thinking methodologies to improve service delivery and to do things differently. 20 years into democracy, we've got the same challenges because we're pushing the same solutions. It's time to start doing that differently. Absolutely. So, so from a legacy perspective, I think World Design Capital is a springboard. The real value of it, we'll see 20, 2020 to be realistic. Um, it's not something. It's not a World Cup. It's not two weeks of intense start and stop. It's a year-long program, drip feeding design, drip feeding awareness, getting people, those that want to engage will, those that don't, won't even know it ever happened. Um, and it's 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 a program of layers, so it's people engage at different layers as well. I don't know if I answered your question, but it's, it's, uh, it's there and thereabouts. <laughs> yeah. In, in the design and then as well, um, are the environmental health impact assessments, is it part of it as well? Is it something separate? Or? Yeah. Well, very much. I think the um, you know the the route we we try to take in the city around <coughs> bringing in the constraints, like you know whatever it may be, whether it's health constraints or whether you're building a road or whatever. You need to bring those constraints to into the table, but to, to the design table, and you know the constraints is what drives creative creative thinking, um, and. In a co-creation environment, you want those people representing those constraints, but you also want people who are going to challenge those in different creative ways to around them. So all those policies and, uh, I guess, rules of engagement, for want of a better word, are critical to the design process. But they need to be introduced in a way that people aren't like, they need to, we're not going to change it, but let's look at a creative way of still uh, abiding by the laws but achieving our end goal. And let's not forget what our end goal is. But if I look at the city, people start with fantastic ideas. By the time they've been through the, the process, they've stripped out all the goodness and they land up with a very flat idea. Mm -hmm. The key is to have the tenacity to keep going through. And when it comes to the health and safety standards, that's fine. They're there. They're there for a good reason. But let's not keep, let's not drop the ball of what we're trying to achieve at the end of the day. Um, so the constraints are super cool, and bring them in right at the beginning because if you bring them at the end, I mean, it's, it's, 
that's really often. That's where that prototyping ideation, you know, we're gonna make a lot of assumptions, and how do we test assumptions? It's prototyping. And if we're not actually prototyping, we're not actually pushing the barrier when it comes to innovation. Um, and I think that's one of the bigger challenges we have in the public sector is people don't innovate because of the so-called failure work. Um, but it's about, let's not call it failure, let's call it about learning, and you learn as you go through. Has anybody given any thought to these psychological, specifically subconscious processes that underpin and make those steps possible? Because ultimately we're talking about people, and what makes us tick is not what we think consciously, but the forces that drive our behavior. Yeah. I would also like to point out, <coughs> Steve Jobs didn't have a consumer base. He had nothing but a consumer base. His model was, it must be easy for the other people. You buy the apple, you plug it in, it works. Those days, the PC thinking was some technical guy and some technical stuff, and nobody could use it. So, yeah. My point is, what are the psychological underpinnings of making those steps possible? You talk about that ladder. Yeah. I mean, it's a good question. I don't, I don't think I, I don't know if I have an answer. Uh, for me, it's, it's, you know, as you go up that ladder, the, the system thinking tools are the ones who start to play more of a role. And if I look at the design thinking tools, it's things like empathy. It's people, it's, as a person, it's about listening to what somebody's saying. It, it's about understanding their worldview. Um, it's accepting that everybody's opinion is actually valid. You know, and how do, we, uh, how, do we work, how do we work with that? Emotional maturity, all those sort of things. Um, you come across a thing called the spiral dynamics model. Spiral dynamics. I'm like what Don Pedro is. I think during the times of the negotiations in the 90s, yeah. It originated from a guy called Claire Graves, who modeled or plotted an evolutionary model of human values. Not values like integrity, but yeah. what people actually value and how they operate. Yes. And, and what I'm seeing looking from that perspective in your model is that there's a correlation. Perhaps this is a bit too simple, there are more yeah. steps yeah. if you like. Yeah. And what I find fascinating in the other model is that there are specific stressors which prompt the next developmental stage. Yeah. And so what I would be interested to know, yeah, I don't know if this is the forum for the time, but nevertheless the question is in my mind, and that is in the area or the country or wherever this design model emerged, what were the stressors yeah. that forced, in one way or another, people to take the next step? So from yeah. design for not design, yeah. to get to the level of aesthetic yeah. design and then to the process of innovation, yeah. something must have forced them one way or another. Yeah. If we can identify them and find the equivalents in our context, then again the yeah. previous uh, gentleman's concept would materialize. And I don't think we can find solutions to that with say, people in Scandinavia because they're on a different planet. Yeah, yeah. So we've got to find yeah, our own stressors yeah. and somehow fuel that fire. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Richard has to go. Um, we'd just like to thank him. Um, yeah, I think engineering and design is, 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 is evidently not what it used to be. Um, it just got me thinking engineering per se was within the realm of, of the military many hundreds of years ago. Then civil engineering emerged when engineers were used to, instead of just operating the military, bridges and buildings and so forth. And then we had other disciplines coming out, um, mechanical, electrical, and so forth. And um, basically now what's happening, all these things are just being thrown together. And um, we train people into the mix as well, which makes for a very complex existence for an engineer nowadays. And I think Richard has touched on some of the ways in which you can try and make sense of all that and, and actually work our way through it. So, um, yeah, Richard, thanks very much for a very interesting topic. I'm also happy to share this presentation slide. So, if you can do it yourself, it's also it's on the it's actually on the desktop as well. I don't know who's left okay, there as well. Yeah. Thank you very much. Enjoy the evening. So I think I'm going to hand over to you. Thank 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 um, so this is the normally the home venue for the SAIE. Um, so I'm speaking mainly to the uh, inclusive members as well as some of those members that are joining or would love to be part of the SAIE. Just to say briefly what the South African Institute of Digital Engineering is about. Uh, so I will not take too much of the time because um, we'll then give an opportunity to Paul as well or a member of inclusive to just say what inclusive is also about. Just briefly, the SAIE, South African Institute of Political Engineers, is a voluntary association accredited uh, by, by EXA, the Engineering Council of South Africa. Um, really, it has a mission of, of ensuring that you, you support the electrical engineering discipline uh, in a variety of, of different ways uh, in terms of just development of the engineering discipline in a, in a number of ways. We've got to ensure that members are able to, electrical engineering members are able to keep in touch with the developments in engineering, we would make sure that we would offer reading material. Uh, we've got a, a magazine that is issued every month, uh, which is a What Now magazine, which consists of a number of, I mean, it gives an opportunity for advertisers, advertisers as well as engineering topics that are written in. 
So you also get an opportunity via this magazine to, to earn CPD points if you read the different articles and answer variety of questions that will enable you to earn CPD points in terms of continuous uh, professional development. Uh, we also do offer a, a number, we run a few courses that will earn you CPD points um, um, for your registration for instance with Excel or the upkeep of your registration with Excel. Uh, and then we also run monthly lectures as we have one today. So we run each and every month a, a lecture of this stage, which will be about 45 minutes, and that will earn you about 41 CPD point. But overall, in terms of a year, you might accumulate up to 1 or 0.8, depending how many lectures you do attend. So it is important that when you do come, you do complete an attendance exercise outside, because once the validation has been done, your the validation for this event will be linked to your Some of the things that we do in terms of promoting electrical engineering, we will do via the outreach programs that we run. Uh, we do have a strong connection with the Cape Town Science Center, which is an observatory, um, where we interlink with a variety of schools at high school level uh, in promoting electrical engineering, just to ensure that we are able to, to have many more engineers uh, in the years to come. Uh, we also we do have student chapters with the universities, UCT, CBT, University of Stellenbosch, and the Wasip Cape Center, um, that we have integrated sessions with, with the Western Cape branch, uh, where we meet with them. Uh, look, in terms of the committee that is responsible, we do have a committee that ensures that all of these events do take place, and our committee is a multidisciplinary, uh, skill-based in terms of the people that are involved. So we do offer an opportunity where if you've got some advice or knowledge center or so, or ideas and advice that you would want, you can email us. Uh, and then if we are not able to support you, we can refer your queries to some of the members that we have in the Western Cape. The Western Cape Center hosts about, about six to uh, 700 members in the Western Cape only from the SAIE. So it's quite a, one of the very active members in in South Africa for the for the South African So it's very active and most probably yeah could be the leading sender uh, 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 in terms of the South African activities. So just without further ado, I just want to also bring up to speed in terms of what is upcoming for our events. The next event that we will have is on the twenty first of, of August. It will be a visit to Teraco data, data Center in Belva. We do have limited spaces, so we only have three more spaces left. So if you are interested in part of that event, you must please uh, get in touch with Larry Kubutu sitting in front of you. There are only three spaces left, so you can make it looking here today. It's on the 21st of October. And when we meet here again next, it will be on the 5th, not here. The next lecture we will have one of the the monthly lectures will be on the 15th of September. That will be our Bernard Price lecture. Uh, it will be not be held here, it will be at the Cape Town Science Center in Observatory. Um, this will be a talk by Professor Ian Yandra. He will be speaking on lighting. Um, his topic would be excitation, ionization, and the Big Bang Theory. Uh, so it's not every day that we have a talk on lighting, so you must please do attend. Uh, you're also advised or invited to please bring or invite your family members or, or your friends 
It's going to be at the Science Center. So if you want kids to come along as well, uh, by all means, we're trying to have that event so that it's a bigger and accommodative uh, event uh, for the entire family. So that'll be on the 15th of September. So after that, I want you to call upon Paul. Uh, just before that, I think I want to thank Paul uh, especially uh, in, in ensuring that this event happens. So it's a great event, that, uh, an idea that has not happened before, that we do integrate uh, with, with Incorsa. And thank you very much for all the information and knowledge. Firstly, to Alvain Smith, who's going to speak a little bit about Incozi, and also uh, perhaps for people who are not familiar with what exactly a systems engineer does, I think it's going to touch on that as well. And then um, uh, a late addition was the neighbor space design, the fast question, and um, this year we're very privileged to be hosting. Um, the sector conference, which is the EMDA regional conference um, in South Africa. Um, it's the first time it's going to be held outside of Europe or on the African continent for that matter. If you'd just like to uh, tell you a little bit about that, that's going to be happening. So, so I'm going to sit down. Uh, Renee's going to close as well, so I'm going to sit down and hand over to you. Hold on. Okay, uh, thank you for Paul told me I've got 10 minutes to talk about systems engineering and INCOSI, so let's go. Um, that's a very long-winded definition, but that's uh, it basically comes from the INCOSI Systems Engineering Handbook, as modified by a good friend of mine, who is Not working. I'm going to thank you, please. Thank you. Um, Robert Elligan uh, modified it. It said systems engineering is an interdisciplinary collaborative approach to the engineering of systems and it basically is about capturing the stakeholders needs and objectives and transforming that into a description of a holistic life cycle balance system solution. So you can see the connection to what uh, Richard has been talking about. Uh, systems engineering primarily comes from um, the military domain, that's where it originated, but the principles and concepts apply to basically any design. In terms of systems engineering, uh, I'm not going to talk through the detail of all of that, and I certainly don't expect you to be able to read it, but that's the, the generic uh, systems engineering process. If we talk about a system uh, um, uh, and we think about something like a plane or a, a rapid transit system or whatever, you normally, if, if we view this as a process, a process has an input and, and it has an output, where the input of this process would uh, typically be uh, problem domain information, the user uh, uh, stakeholder needs, um, what is it that the user wants to do with the system, uh, thinking about uh, the example of a rapid transit system, if the city decides they need a rapid transit system to get people into and out of the city centre, um, 
there will be a whole set of, of needs, what we call stakeholder requirements associated with that. So what do you do with that? You, you need to analyze those needs that is given to you in terms uh, of how do you turn that user need into a technical requirement for a system that you need to develop. Um, if you understand what the technical requirements is, what the system uh, needs to meet, the next step would be to develop a, a, what we call a logical design, which is basically a, function, a, a, a functional design. What does the system need to do in order to fulfill that need? If you understand what the system needs to do, you can start looking at concepts of how you're going to build the system? What are the options available? You can you can use a, a, a rapid bus transit system. You could use a high-speed train, um, and each of those options uh, uh, gets further developed as a potential physical solution. Uh, and the requirements that have been stated up front and turned into technical requirements there gets allocated down to each of these solutions and based on the performance of each of those you eventually make a decision what is the preferred solution that you're going to build and that is the, the uh, now this process what I've described now takes place at the system level once you've decided I'm now going to build a, a, a rapid uh, rail system you go next level down what is a rapid rail system consist of and this whole process gets applied again at the next level down. You get a set of requirements from the system level that gets allocated down to the lower level. You need to do requirements analysis, the functional design and the physical design. And it's not a, a, one, a pass once through that process, it's an itera a continuous iteration uh, be between requirements and logical design and be between logical and physical design. Uh, and that's uh, the essence of uh, systems engineering. The little bubble there in the corner says systems engineering management. My definition of systems engineering management is project management being applied in a, in a systems engineering environment. There's, a, there's so much overlap that you, we can argue for hours about is it project management or is it system engineering management. Um, <clears throat> I'll put this down. Okay, that's as far as trying to explain to you what systems engineering is. I think, as I said, the, you can see the commonality between the design thinking that uh, Richard has spoken about, what we call, and this comes, as I said, from the, from the military domain, um, and we know the terminology, systems engineering. If you speak to a different application domain, they will probably do similar things and call it by a different name. But in principle, we go through the same process. Just a little bit about INCOSI itself, the International Council on Systems Engineering. Um, it's a not-for-profit membership organization um, founded to develop and disseminate um, the interdisciplinary principles and practices uh, to enable uh, successful systems. The mission is to share, promote and advance the best of systems engineering from across the globe for the benefit of humanity and the planet. Um, our goal normally uh, as a chapter locally as well is, is we would like to get 
as many different application domains involved um, in in COSI. Not so that we can teach them how to how they're supposed to do systems engineering, but that we can learn from them as what are the tools and techniques that they use in, in their application domain to do design. Um, <coughs> Um, INCOSI is divided in, into three sectors. Uh, we're part of the uh, Europe, Middle East and Africa sector. Uh, the conference that Renee is going to talk about shortly is a, is a regional conference for, the, for sector two or the EMEA sector. Uh, that's a long list of active working groups of INCOSI at international level. There's one there highlighted reliability engineering, uh, which was established um, and is currently chaired by Abotain Barnard, who is a member of the South African chapter. So you will, you will find a, a, a working group there in quite a, a huge um, uh, scope of application domains. There's, a, a, there's some, even a motorsports working group. In terms of publications and products, uh, we have a, quarter, a quarterly uh, magazine called Insight. Uh, Systems Engineering is a, a, re a review journal that uh, comes out on a quarterly basis as well. Um, Enterprise Transformation, also a quarterly uh, journal. The annual proceedings of the yearly Inclusive Conference is published in an online database called IPUB that you get access to if you're an Inclusive member. Then uh, there's a whole host of products from the individual working groups. Um, one of the ones that is not uh, online at the moment, they're busy revamping it, is a tools database, which is a collection of requirements analysis and system design case tools. And, compares them in terms of capabilities. Quite a handy thing if you need to decide what case tool you need to use. Um, from the members area of the web, if you're an inclusive member, you get access to the system engineering handbook. Uh, the handbook is, is currently being revised. Uh, revision 4 of the handbook will be published by Wiley um, in January next year. All the handbooks up to now was published by Cozy uh, themselves, but this time around they, they're making use of Wiley. There are also products like measure, uh, the measurement primer, which describes how do you measure the systems engineering process? How do you measure how good are you doing with this process? And are you in fact adding any value? Or are you just generating paper? Uh, in terms of certification, uh, INCOSI started this systems engineering certification program uh, quite a while back. It's basically uh, entry level, which is based on, a, on an exam that you write. Of course, that exam is based on the, on the INCOSI SE handbook. Um, part of what, uh, the offerings of the conference, again, that Renee will touch on, is a free certification exam. Uh, the exam itself normally costs you 120, 150 dollars. Um, if you pass the exam, you will be invited to become uh, an, uh, either an ASEP, or if you have sufficient experience, you can register as, as, a, as a certified 
Systems Engineering Professional or, or CSEP. Um, when you're old and grey, sorry, I'm not looking at you today. <laughs> you can qualify to become a, a, a expert systems engineering professional. Um, that's not based on the exam anymore. It's based on uh, on interview and and a, a discussion with the seniors in, in COSI to determine that you really know uh, what you're talking about. So there are the, the three levels of uh, certification available. And what does that do for you? In South Africa, I think there's not a lot of uptake on this yet, but it's growing, uh, especially in the defense environment. It's And it's quite a handy tool if you need to uh, appoint a systems engineer. If you put out an advertisement, you get 50 applications and five of them actually know what systems engineering is about. So if you can uh, um, get people apply that can state I am a registered or certified systems engineering professional, at least you immediately know where you stand. That's probably the, the biggest benefit uh, from that perspective. Uh, the INCOSI SA chapter was established in 2002. Um, we used to be a Section 21 company um, and we were reconstituted as a not-for-profit association um, in uh, a couple of uh, two, in 2006. Uh, the, the chapter is mainly based in Gauteng, but we've got a very active branch down here in Stellenbosch. Um, we have uh, regular member meetings like uh, um, you guys have as well. Uh, our home base is the CSR facility in Stellenbosch, because I used to be there. Oh, well, I'm still there until the end of the month. Uh, and uh, we, so we use the facilities. We have um, approximately 450 members. Uh, chapter is run by a, a small management committee of about seven people, I think, at the moment. Uh, and that is the chapter website if you want uh, more detailed information. Uh, some of the member benefits. Besides the networking with a huge number of system engineering professionals, um, we, there are annual international symposium that happens around about the end of July, and that gets rotated between Europe and the US. And if Renee has anything to do with it, we will have one in South Africa as soon as possible. Uh, this uh, regional conference that you'll be talking about is a stepping stone to, to the the IS. Then the uh, international workshop is basically in COSI's um, uh, working meetings where all the uh, work groups meet and all the, the management of the COSI as an organization takes place. That's normally in January. We have the sector conferences, uh, chapter conferences, and uh, there are also monthly webinars that is run by COSI Central where they get speakers to talk on, on, uh, on the relevant uh, topics. Of course, you can participate in any of the technical work groups, uh, either as an active contributor or just as an observing member, basically. Uh, you can get access to the INCOSI System Engineering Body of Knowledge, which is a wiki. And this is open to everybody. You don't need to be an INCOSI member. So. If you want to know more about systems engineering and the system engineering process, that's a good resource to use. Uh, 
the handbook, NCOSI handbook, unfortunately, you can only get if you're an NCOSI member. Um, of course, uh, you can attend the events and symposia. Um, you can also earn CPD points. All the NCOSI events uh, you can earn CPD points for. And uh, we are registered with EXA's Category A Voluntary Association. I think I've covered most of that in terms of events and activities, uh, communications. We have a, a, a website which is fairly actively uh, updated. Uh, we make use of uh, what we call in-use items, which is email-based to give you relevant uh, news and information about the chapter. And then we also have a LinkedIn group if you don't necessarily want to Joining Cozy, um, you can still put your name on the LinkedIn group and you will receive notifications of events. Uh, interesting thing is our, to attend our member events, you don't actually have to be an Cozy member to attend the events. Uh, everybody is welcome to, to come and, and listen to uh, the talks if, if it's a topic that interests you. Of course, we will try and twist your arm to become a member. Uh, technical working groups, I mentioned the reliability one that uh, Albertine is running. I am running a system engineering training working group uh, trying to get uh, more formal systems engineering training in at university level. And there is a standards working group run by Johan Amsenga, uh, strongly associated with a uh, SABS standards program. Um, conference I'm going to hand over to Renee. And, and, and this is uh, a membership fee that we have actually negotiated with Incozy. If you look at the international website, the full membership uh, dollar, US dollar membership is, is much more than this. So it used to be a little less, and Renee always say that it's, it's less than the price of a good bottle of wine. Uh, this is now this is the price of a really good one. <laughs> For students, and students is defined by Nkosi as full-time students, not part-time. So masters and PhD, unfortunately, doesn't qualify. But full-time students can get it for 375. Yes, I IEE members, what did I get? That's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure with SAIE as well, if you're a member of the organization, you get this country and you get fees as well. Yeah. Yeah. Same applies with us. Yeah. Because we're a campaign. This is uh, the conference. I was show you. If you saw this jacket over there, I, I always remind myself of when I saw the Evita. When Baron was standing out there, you know, part of the people, I throw my jacket off. I'm part. Thank you very much. I'm standing between you now and the snacks outside. Uh, sorry, I'll stand in front of the door then I'm there physically. And, uh, um, just very briefly, um, just to clarify on the bottle of wine, of course, I take assistance view if I say that. If you think that if you buy a 100 rand bottle of wine, you have to get in your car, drive six kilometers, 
a draft six kilometers back, you take the time into constraint, you can only buy about a 20 rand bottle for 575 rand. So in fact, uh, it is actually only a cheap bottle of wine nowadays, with all the fuel levels. Okay, uh, Miasek, I think enough has been said. Uh, the, I'm the project leader, and uh, thank you for the opportunity. The conference is a full set go at this point in time. Uh, the background is we started off about 2009, we put a bid in two or three years ago. It was accepted and actually the moment of truth is the 27th to the 30th of October this year. We just published our program. program is going to be a three-day conference, four tracks, one tutorial track. Actually, we're having half-day tutorials. We had, we had such a glut of, uh, of interest that we cut them down to half-days. It's all available on the website and stuff. I'm not going to bore you with that. We have got the brochures. Are the brochures here? Outside, there's a brochure and then also uh, a bookmark. You're welcome to take one of each, uh, and then there's also a QR code I'm told on there. And if you uh, if you take a photo of that in your smart device, then you can actually log into the website and find everything on there. So the conference basically 27th to, 20, uh, to, to the 29th, the 30th is a day that we will have educational tours and also the SEP exam, the free or the, uh, the exam we'll be doing. Uh, on the educational tours, we got one trip that goes to the SKA facility. We can only accommodate eight people, three people, uh, three of the seats have been taken so far. We've got another one that actually uh, involves a little bit more on the social side, and that uh, looks at the Enkaneni project in Stellenbosch, near to Stellenbosch, looking at basically connecting also, you know, the, uh, uh, the sort of informal settlement and stuff into the high-tech world and what have you. And then, as usual, because wine is a, sub is a pet subject of mine, we also have one tour that will be taking us to the uh, Bergkelder. Firstly, and after that, to the Van Rijn facility. So those are the three sort of educational tours that we are offering. <laughs> yes, we could not call them technical tours, but educational at least. And then, uh, I should also would like to say that we have got uh, uh, six plenaries, actually. We've got plenary every morning. They're all on the website. You can have a look at that. And then also closing plenaries as well. Uh, we're having, in addition to that, we are fortunate that the board of directors of Incosia are actually having their quarterly... Uh, board meeting also in uh, uh, it's all happening at Somerset West of course if I haven't mentioned that or you haven't seen that yet and uh, hopefully most of them will attend as well and part of the conference will then also be a round table we'll be doing around the subject of systems engineering uh, training as well while we got them there so we're inviting people specifically to do that we're having uh, the first evening we will have a welcoming function and that will go together with a wine tasting it has to be it's going to just today i actually got someone else to also join us there and then basically we have a function the second night as well the normal gala function which will be very informal i think that's broadly speaking and then just something i should perhaps have said right in the beginning the theme of the conference was actually fundamentally different to anything Encosia has done before we've actually if you look at the sort of worldview on systems engineering, you've got engineered systems, you've got what we term social systems, and you've got natural systems. We've actually opened it up. If you look at the website, you'll see that we actually invited papers, not only on the engineered systems, but also on social systems and natural systems. We actually got quite a few contributions out of the, and it's difficult to penetrate uh, those other areas with the word engineering, because they say, oh, what does engineering got to do with it? In fact, it's got everything to do with that. As you said, everything can be approached from that perspective. So we're very happy to, uh, to now announce that the program is really all going. The fees and stuff, I'm not going to elaborate, it's all on the conference. If you are a member, you do get a bit of discount. Of course, you don't have to be a member to attend. 
And I would then just like to invite everyone outside the Nkosi community and also anyone that you might know to be interested, please, to make use of this opportunity. It's not, it's not, a, it's not an everyday event. We have got our annual conferences, which usually happen in Pretoria. This one here in Cape Town, I came down specifically today because I would like now to say now the Cape Townians have got an opportunity not to have to travel to that terrible place up there. It's on your doorstep here. So please support the conference. It would be great stuff uh, to see you guys there. I think that's about it. I'm not sure if there's anything else, Paul, I need to say other than to say close. Closing means stage. We're, not, we're seeing you at EMIASEC 2014. And thank you very much for attending and also Paul for you for arranging, if I may say so, as also a member of the CMC. And then also for... Uh, Thank you very much, uh, and also for us collaborating as well beyond the encoding and the SIE. Thank you very much for that. Thanks for attending.